0: You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to uh, continue our series, Mindsets That Matter, Uh, Mindsets that matter. And uh, we're beginning this series in Colossians chapter 3. If you missed last week, uh, I shared about an uncommon mindset, having an uncommon mindset. And we focused on this idea of the nature and names of God, how the names of God reveal the nature of God. Throughout the Bible, beginning in the Old Testament, God would reveal himself. Through his names, through first Elohim, the, the, the general name of God, describing his divinity, his divine nature. But then he would give a personal name, the personal name Jehovah or Yahweh, which described his covenant relationship with the people of Israel, with his, his nation that he had set apart and called to himself and then throughout that time, God would reveal names connected to that uh, to describe who he is. He's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. He, he's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provides. And, and he, he reveals his names to reveal his nature. But the reason I, I'm taking you through that isn't just to do a study on the names of God, but to develop mindsets that live our lives based on the reality and the truth of who, who God is. Because if you look the way you know, we all have mindsets and Jesus saved us, He saved our soul, He rescued us, brought us from death to life, but He didn't change our minds automatically. I mean, no, the day you got saved, there still had to be some stuff you had to renew in your mind. We're we're still in progress. We're still working on that. We're still, uh, I'm, I'm constantly, that's why we need the word of God. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to continue to, to tear down the wrong things we've thought and believed about God and ourselves and the world around us, but then to replace those lies with the truth that sets us free. And Colossians chapter three says this, verse one and two, he says, here's what I want you to do. If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind then. Mindsets are not something that happens automatically. It's a decision that you make. Let me, let me say that. The right mindsets don't happen automatically. <laughs> Biblical mindsets don't happen automatically. We have to choose to set our mind, here's what he says, on things above not on things in the earth. So, so we can be so preoccupied with what we're dealing with, and that's not just the news in the world around us. That's our own issues, our own needs, our own problems, our own challenges that are valid and necessary to address on a practical level. But here's what happens. Sometimes we're so preoccupied with pain, with problems, with issues around us that we don't have heaven's perspective on them. And if we if we believe the lie more than we believe the truth, the result will be the truth will be diminished in our life, and we will be preoccupied with fear, with shame, with whatever it is that keeps us from seeing what God wants us to see. All of us have mindsets that affect and 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 are that are shaped by things around us, people around us, our relationships, how we're raised, uh, the, the, our our environment that we're working in. Uh, they all serve to create mindsets that cause us to see our life a certain way, cause us to see the world around us a certain way, see our family, our marriage, our past, and our future. And I told you last week, the two most important things when it comes to mindset that we we need is, number one, what we believe about God, and then what we believe about ourselves as a result of what we believe about God. So so that informs who we are. Last week we looked at the truth that he is the holy one. He's uncommon. He's set apart. He's Jehovah Kadosh. He's the he's he's unlike anything this world has. And because he's uncommon, we're created and set apart, saved, redeemed, and, and set apart as a holy people. Today we're gonna look at three names that reveal the nature of God and give us three different mindsets, all closely connected, but that all shape, I believe, how we live our lives and we we relate to the world around us. And these three things come down to these names. The first one is El Roy, which means God sees. And and, and you know, here, here's the thing. If I told you you're a theologian, you'd probably not recognize that that's true, but you are. A theologian isn't just somebody who has more degrees than a thermometer. A theologian is anybody that has an opinion of God. And everybody's a theologian. The issue is we're not always good ones, myself included. And we have to have our mind renewed by the word of God so that we can see God as he really is and see ourselves as God says we really are. And one of the attributes of God described in theology and understanding what the Bible says is that he's omniscient. God sees everything. God knows everything. He's El Roi. The second thing we're going to look at in just a moment is that he's present. One of the names of God is Jehovah Shammah, which means the Lord who is present. And that describes another attribute of God. He knows everything. He's omniscient, but he's also omnipresent. He's everywhere. There is nowhere you can go in all of creation where God is not. You can't outrun God's presence. You can't hide from God's presence. You are never alone. He's always with you. He's always present. He's omnipresent. He's also omnipotent. The last name we'll look at today is he's Jehovah Nissi. Jehovah Nissi means literally this. In fact, many of the names of God describe his strength, his power, his ability. But I'm going to focus on this one, Jehovah Nissi, which is the Lord our banner, the banner of victory. He's the one who always wins out. He always determines the outcome. He is always the one who wins in the end. He's prevailing. He's omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. So, so there's nothing in all of creation that can make God stronger or make God weaker. And with those three things, I know that's, that's simple, that's, that's basic in our understanding of God. But here's why this is important. Because if I know that he sees everything, that's going to affect the way I live my life. I'm going to live life accountable because he sees it all, but I'm also gonna live my life knowing that God's my answer. Even when people are not, God is. Even when people fall short, God's enough. God steps in. In fact, I wanna look at a story in Genesis 16 that illustrates this idea, this first name, el In fact, it's where we get that name from in the Bible. Genesis 16 is a story of Hagar. Hagar is the maidservant of Sarah, Abraham's wife, Abraham and Sarah have a promise over their life. God has spoken to them that they will have a child in their old age. God will give them a a promised son, a covenant child, who would later be Isaac. But the problem is, God gives them a promise, problem for them, is God gives them a promise that's impossible naturally to fulfill because of their age. And some time goes by, and they introduce their plan to take the place of God's plan. God says, you're going to have a miracle. They say, well, it's hard for me to see a miracle. Let's just figure it out on our own. And Sarah gives Hagar, her servant, to be a surrogate wife to Abraham and provide a child, provide an heir. Now, can I just tell you, decisions have consequences. The conflict in the world right now in Israel and the Middle East is actually a result of that decision. If you didn't know that, if you don't know Bible history, that's today we are still dealing with the consequences of that decision where where, where Hagar produces Ishmael for Abraham in place of what would be Isaac, God's promise, God's son that God would make possible and God's choice for Abraham. Here's why this is important because anytime we try to substitute our plan for God's plan, we always have conflict. Quiet in here, Jenna. Anytime we try to help God out, we we produce our limited results that often produce more conflict or more need. Instead of allowing God to be God. But here's here's the here's the positive side of the story. Hagar actually comes into conflict with Sarah because she has she becomes pregnant. She has this, she's about to have this child, Ishmael. and, And Sarah becomes frustrated with Hagar, even though she came up with the plan. And she, gets, she begins to mistreat Hagar. And so she comes to Abraham and tells, her, tells him excuse me, uh, the issue and the problem she's having and she's upset and all of this. And, and, and so here's what verse six says. Abraham says to Sarai, indeed your maid is in your own hand, do to her as you please. Uh, in other words, he's like, you deal with it, it was your idea. Um, <laughs> Sarai dealt harshly with her and Hagar fled from her presence. And if you think that was all that it was, If if that was the end of the story, that would be sad for Hagar because she just got brought into a whole messed up plan. But here's what verse 7 says. When she fled from Sarah and Abraham and her only means of sustaining her life, naturally speaking, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She says, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress, submit yourself under her hand. Here's why. Here's what he says. The angel of the Lord tells her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so that they shall not be counted for a multitude. And he goes on to tell her about Ishmael, the the promise that God would give her through Ishmael. In other words, God's going to take even the messed up, broken situation that Hagar's experiencing, and he's going to redeem And he's going to bring about a promise. Decisions have consequences. Sometimes we think that our decisions don't affect anybody, but every decision we make, when you're born, you look like your parents. When you're old, you look like your decisions. (laughs) And, and, And here's what happens is our decisions affect us and they actually can affect others around us. And just like we see with Ishmael and Isaac today, Decisions also have generational consequences. That's why the fight for your life, your future, your calling, your family, your marriage is not just about you. That's why the decision to walk in integrity instead of compromise isn't just about you. Because decisions have far-reaching implications beyond what we can see. But here's the good news. God sees God redeems and God restores. Here's what, God, uh, or here's what Hagar calls that place. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. She says, for have I also seen him who sees me? I love this. Do you know there's two needs that everybody has, to be needed and to be known to be needed and to be known. All of us intrinsically have that. God's wired us that way because he's created us for relationship. God said of Adam, it's not good that he dwells alone. So he brought Eve. He created a relationship. He created a family. He's created the church to be a family. Nobody has to be alone. If you feel isolated and alone, I wanna encourage you to join the family. Be a part of the family. Don't stay separated. Get connected. Get in round other people pray with other people, don't stay alone because God sets the solitary in families. Even when we have natural dysfunction in our lives and our relationships, God puts a spiritual family called the church to come alongside us, to lift us up when we're down and to be that for others as well. And here's what Hagar recognizes. After hearing from the angel of the Lord, which is a, a, a personification of God himself that says this, I'm gonna provide for you when people hurt you. I'm gonna cover you. I'm gonna provide a future and a hope when others have left you, when others have abandoned their responsibility to you. I'm gonna make up the difference. And she says, You are the God who sees. You're the God who sees me. When others didn't see me, when others mistreated me, God, you are the one who sees. Number one today, my points are super simple today. Probably as simple as I've ever given for a point, but here's what they are. And I think it's the simple thing sometimes we miss. Number one is that God sees you and he sees me. And that gives us a visibility mindset. It gives us a visibility mindset. I wanna speak to the introverts in the room. Do you know it is not wrong to be an introvert? Some of us, we get our batteries charged being around people. You you love to be around people. You're the life of the party. And you just feel energized. And some of us feel depleted. You love people, but just being around people, like you're just exhausted. You need a nap after church being around some people. Okay, it's okay. You can recognize, I learned that, that sometimes I can be depleted by certain things and energized by certain things. God's wired you that way. It's not, we think extrovert's good, introvert's bad. No, God's wired you. The way he's wired you. Neither one of those are good or bad. They all have strengths, they all have weaknesses. But here's the point. Sometimes, as an introvert, we can isolate ourselves. Even in a crowd of people, we can feel all alone. And I want to challenge you today to remember that it's God who sees. He sees, and, and that idea that God sees everything for some of us is absolutely terrifying. God sees it all. And you know what? He's a perfectly just God. He's a holy God, as we described last week. He's a God that will cause no secret thing to remain hidden. There will be a day where everything, every hidden motive, every hidden word, every slander, every idol, every idea, everything in our lives is brought to bear. And that's, that can be scary when you don't understand, first and foremost, God sees it all, And even though God, sometimes we think, like, if people really knew me, they wouldn't love me. If they really saw who I am, they wouldn't love me. They'd reject. They'd push away. God sees you more than anybody ever will, and he's provided Jesus because he sees you and he loves you. The God who sees wants a relationship with you. And he sees all the good, and he sees all the bad. And he invites us close through Jesus. Jesus. For for our sins that have separated us from God to be washed away, but also so that we could have a relationship with God. And because God sees it all, and he's a God of justice, we can also live with a visibility. Some of us have been wronged. In fact, I think every one of us have been mistreated like Hagar in some way. All of us have been hurt, robbed, uh, mistreated by people. Here's what Romans 12 says, in light of who God is who sees it all. Repay no one evil for evil. Are you sure, God? can I just get him back a little bit? (laughs) Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it's possible, as much as it depends on you. That's key, because sometimes you can't control how other people are going to act. But as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. In fact, he goes on, he says, beloved, don't avenge yourselves. Give place to wrath. In other words, let God be the judge. Don't be the judge. Don't take his job. For it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you're going to heap coals of fire on his head. That sounds like good. That's, that's a good idea. Okay. Uh, here's what he says. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart's then each one's praise will come from God. So, so here's, here's the point. He says, everyone's accountable to God, everyone. There's not a person on planet Earth. Sometimes we can get upset and angry because it seems like the, the unrighteous and the ungodly and those that hate God and those that are far from God are mocking God and seem to be like, they don't have any problems. And we can get mad in the moment and forget that there's nothing that escapes the notice of God. And when you live with that mindset, even for yourself, it means that you're accountable to God even when people don't see. And it also means when others wrong you and others mistreat you, you can go, God, I know that you're gonna work all things out. You're gonna be the judge. And you know what justice is? It's when God makes wrong things right. Justice isn't just punishment. Justice is when God makes wrong things right. When God restores, redeems, corrects, uh, redeems that situation, and he brings about good in the midst of hurt. Only God could take a mess like what Hagar's got in in that situation and could give nations from her descendants. And, and, And here's why this is important. God would do the same For Isaac, who was the promise, God's original plan was always Isaac. And yet, God can redeem even the brokenness and the mess that we've created. God sees everything. He knows it all. Here's what I want to challenge you to, just in your day-to-day life. Sometimes it's easy to live for the applause of people, the recognition of people. Or we cut corners when people aren't looking. Nobody in here, that's second service. That's a whole other sermon, I'll I'll preach that. Uh, Here's what Paul would say. He says, servants, obey your masters in the Lord, for this is right, not as men pleasers giving eye service. And that, that translates for us, employees don't just work hard when your boss sees it. Well, I want that promotion. Yeah, but what if you recognize what the Bible says, God promotes, God exalts, you don't get that promotion. Maybe God's got something better. Are you with me? I learned a long time ago. I remember my very first first ministry role. I would already worked, had a uh, been, been been involved in other areas, had career position, all of that. Left that to go into full time ministry. And my first job in full time ministry, they took me to a closet and said, "This closet is." They didn't call it a closet. They said, "This is your office." And it was this like back hallway behind the first and second grade classroom at the church. And it was this huge building, this back corner closet that no human being has probably ever been to since the building was built. And I walked in there and it was a concrete floor, no ceiling. You could see the superstructure of the building. No ceiling. It was just, that was it. And in Phoenix, that would have been fun in the summer. And I had a little uh, card table and a folding chair. They said, here's your office. (laughs) And you know what I did? I, I was so excited because I was stepping into the first steps of my calling. I didn't care if anybody saw it. I just had to step around the first and second graders to get to my office on Sunday. And I learned something early on that what mattered at the end of the day was what God saw. And whether people didn't or not. And in fact, I learned that even before that when I was working in, in a secular job, I was a middle manager and my administration was had some problems, uh, and, 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 and they, they transferred all of my staff and then blamed me for us having no productivity. And it was actually, I don't remember how, it was almost like 19 years ago today. It was like this time of year. And it was the busiest season in that job, and it was crazy. And, they, and, and, and I got this performance evaluation based on all the things that they had created, all the problems. And my first reaction was going to be to argue it and fight it. And I was learning this principle at that time. Let God fight your battles. Yes. Let God defend you. You know what ended up happening? Six months later, they wanted to promote me. Said the exact opposite of everything they were saying there. But I learned to be the same whether people saw it or they didn't. So, so David, David's a shepherd taking care of his dad's business. And all of his older brothers have basically treated him like dirt. <laughs> And one day Samuel shows up to the house, who's the prophet of Israel. Samuel shows up and and he says, hey, I'm here because one of your sons, Jesse, is going to be the next king of Israel. Get all your sons together. We're going to have a feast to the Lord and I'm going to anoint the next king. So Jesse calls all of his boys except David. Doesn't even, the dad, Jesse, does not think enough of David to even invite him to the party. And all of the sons are there except David. And Samuel goes from the oldest. He starts with the oldest. He goes, surely this is the Lord's anointed. God says, nope, not him. Uh, he goes to number two. Man, this guy looks strong, tall. He's got it all figured. Like, this guy looks the part. Like, he is, he is king material. He goes, is this him, God? God says, nope, not that guy either. He goes through the whole list, and God, God says, there's still one. <laughs> Samuel asked Jesse, hey, is there anybody, like, you're forgetting? <laughs> Oh yeah, I got this one kid. He keeps making up stories about killing a lion and a bear and and writing poems to God. I guess him. (laughs) Samuel says, we're not going to sit down until he shows up. Here's what the Lord told Samuel. He said, the Lord, don't look at the outward appearance. God doesn't judge by the outward appearance. God looks at what? The heart. He looks at the heart. David shows up. God says, that's the guy. He's the king. Anoint him he's chosen. You know what that tells me? God sees when others don't. God sees what others overlook, what others mistreat, what others neglect. That's good news, church. Number two is that God's with you. So not only does he see you, but God's with you. I already told you what the second name we're going to look at today is Jehovah Shammah. It comes from a word over a city. Here's what God said in Ezekiel. This is Ezekiel chapter 48, verse 35. I don't know if I have this in my notes, but here's what, here's, I'm gonna read it to you. The circumference of the city that that Ezekiel sees in a vision is 18,000 cubits, and the name of the city from that time on shall be the Lord is there, Jehovah Shema. In other words, the destiny of that city is a prophetic picture of Jerusalem. The destiny of that city is gonna be, it's defined by the presence of God. Can I tell you what the mission of the church is in every city that God calls us to? It's to make that place be a place where people can say the Lord is there. Yes. Oh, you're not quite with me yet. <laughs> you know what God wants to do in your family? He wants it to be said over your family, the Lord is there. Yeah. The Lord's there. There's the difference. When you live an uncommon life, like I described last week, set apart for God, living in the purpose of God. Do you know what that means? It means you're creating a space, an environment where God can show up and that That description of that place can be the Lord is there. Now, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere, right? So why would God highlight a city and say the Lord is there? Why would it be known by that? Well, Paul Paul was walking through a place that was known for idolatry. Paul the Apostle. And he's there, and he sees all these statues and all these images. You know, before people saw what God was revealing in the truth of the Bible that he's the living God, he's the only God, most places they would would worship a thing, an image they cut down or something in nature or in creation. And so they would worship the sun because of the warmth of the sun and it helped for their crop produce. And they'd worship the the rain and they call that Baal, the God who provides the rain. And so they'd worship all of these things. And if you wanted a particular need to be met, you had to go find that God, that deity, that idol, and he'd offer a sacrifice. And, and, and they, would, they were so used to, like, they had a God for everything. So Paul goes around, and he sees there's a God for the rain. There's a God for the sun. There's a God for the families. There's a God for this. He's going through. And then he sees a statue at the end that says, to the unknown God. The Greeks were like, we're covering all of our bases. Just in case we missed one, we're going to sacrifice the unknown God. And Paul comes to them, and he says, hey, this unknown God you don't know anything about, but you, you're, you're trying to cover your bases. That's the God I'm here to tell you about. Because this God, the real God, the living God, is not worshipped and made in images and idols and, and in buildings made with human hands. He's the God of all creation. And here's how he described it. He says, God's presence is everywhere. And in him we live and move and have our being. He's not far. I like how he describes it. He says, he's not far. This is Acts 17. Let me read it, verse 26. Uh, He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. He's determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. You know what that tells me? God's the one that calls me to a place, to a people. Okay. So before you make life decisions, ask God first. Okay, that'd be a good sermon to talk about about today Uh, so so that they should seek the Lord what is God why has God placed us where he's placed us why has God put us in that family in that environment in that city in that community why has God placed us there that we should seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him find him though he's not far from each one of us that's the good news God isn't distant God is not far and while he is everywhere he's not known or experienced everywhere so so that's the difference And this is an important difference. Because while God is everywhere, his presence is everywhere. In fact, here's what the psalmist would say in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your presence? There is no place I can run that you're not there. And and here's why that's important. Because his presence isn't based on your feelings. Have you ever had a church service and you're like, man, I feel God in the room. And then lunch comes, and you don't feel God anymore. You're having a great time with Jesus in prayer at at night. You're you're in the word, and and you you feel God's presence, and you know that God's close. and, And then you wake up the next morning, and it's like, God, you're a million miles away. Do you know what the rest of Psalm 139 says? He says, when I awake, I'm still with you. That was my verse when I'm a new believer in Jesus, and I thought God's presence was about my feelings all the time. Like God's there when I feel him and he's not there when I don't. Here's the problem. When you live based on your feelings, your mindset is going to be shakable. In fact, I didn't give you, I think it was on the screen. The second mindset is a presence mindset. What would happen if you lived your life every day with the recognition, the knowledge, and the confidence that God is there? What would happen if every environment you stepped into, every job you stepped into, every relationship you stepped into, every place you went, you were absolutely confident, he is with me, he is for me, and he is gonna show up. What would happen if that's how you lived your life? The disciples are in a storm and they freak out. We're gonna die. Jesus, don't you care? We're perishing. They have to go wake up Jesus. He's asleep in the boat. Don't you care? Jesus wakes up and he rebukes them for their unbelief. And why would Jesus rebuke them? He calms the water and the waves, of course. But he corrects the disciples' mindset because their mindset was not about who was in the boat with them, it was about the greatness and the strength of the storm around them. If you live your life with a presence mindset, you are absolutely convinced God's with me and he's gonna get me through. There's a storm. I'm not diminishing the storm. I'm not diminishing what I'm feeling, what I'm walking through, but I have a God who's greater. He's with me in the boat. He's present in the storm. Jesus would tell his disciples, I'm gonna send you into all the world. Go and make disciples. Preach the gospel. Make disciples of every nation. And he says, lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Do you know the two most repeated things that that God would say throughout Old Testament and New Testament to anybody that he called to do something? Two most repeated things he would say. Do not be afraid, I'm with you. Moses, you're gonna tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Who am I? (laughs) Don't be afraid, I'll be with you. Joshua, you're gonna take the promised land. Moses is dead, now it's time for you to step up and lead the people into the promised land. Only don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous, I'm with you. Gideon, you're going to be a leader to to deliver the Israelites from the Midianites, and you're going to set the people free with few, not with many. Well, 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 God, are you sure? Don't be afraid. I will be with you. He repeats it all throughout the word of God. Don't be afraid, I will be with you. And I don't know who needs to hear that today, but no matter what you're walking through, he is with you. That's why your dependence should not be on your ability or your lack thereof. Your your dependence shouldn't be on others even. God puts people in our life for us to need them in a healthy way, but here's what I want you to understand. No matter who's in your life, God's in your life. And if you'll depend upon God, you'll have an inexhaustible source of strength and confidence, and peace, and joy that doesn't come from what you see and feel, but it comes from his presence with you. I, I love this. Paul said this in 2 Timothy 4.16. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. In other words, I'm forgiving them, even though they left me and abandoned me. You know, how many of you got people in your life, like, they, they, they say, I'm your ride or die, and then they, they're gone, the first scent of trouble. <laughs> That's where Paul's at. Nobody's with him, but here's what he says. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through my life that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, P.S., by the way, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. I just like this Paul guy. It's like, how is that your aside comment? Like, by the way, there was a lion and God delivered me. Okay. But here's the mindset based on who's with him. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. What's the consequence of him being with you? Number three, God always wins. God always wins. We can have a prevailing mindset. Point number three, if you can put that on the screen. Here's here's what we need we need a prevailing mindset based on the victory of who God is. He's with you, but He's not just with you, He always wins. And that's why Paul could say this statement He says, I, even though everybody else walked out, God walked in, He's present. And because he's present, God not only protected me, but I know he'll continue to deliver me. And his, what, what, what Paul's saying is not just dealing with natural freedom while he would be bound and put in prison, he couldn't be stopped. Because here's what a prevailing mindset does. Do you know that two-thirds of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit? And most of that was written while he was in prison. Most of us would face a difficulty like Paul walked through repeatedly, and we throw in the towel. We're done. It's over. No, Paul kept overcoming through adversity, through difficulty. Faith is not the absence of a problem. Faith is knowing that that problem has to bow its knee to the name that's greater. And Paul knew that even though he was facing opposition, there was nothing they could throw at him. Listen, he would one day be martyred for his faith, and even that couldn't stop him. You say, how is that possible? Because the worst thing the devil can do is send you to Jesus quicker. (laughs) He never wins. So don't be overcome with evil. Don't be overwhelmed by what's going on in the world around you. Let's have the mindset of Paul, who's confident, who's with us. One last passage I wanna read to you. Numbers 13. He's Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. When, when Israel was given a great victory over the Amalekites, uh, Moses built an altar, and that's what he, the name he attached to that altar. Jason, if you want to come up. This is the name he attached to the altar. The Lord is my banner of victory. And, and just like, you know, through Veterans Day, you may have seen the images of the Marines on the hill of Iwo Jima lifting up the American flag and victory. Why is it so important to raise a banner? Well, here's what that that phrase means. To raise the banner was a symbol. While there's still a battle, it's already won. While there's still a battle, the war is won. And when God raises his banner of victory over your life and mine, when we live our lives confident that he always wins, here's what happens. Momentary problems don't determine long-term outcomes. Momentary pain doesn't define my future because I have a healer momentary loss doesn't define my life because I have a present God who's a very present help in time of trouble. (laughs) Not just a present help, he's a very present help. And in Numbers 13, here's what happens. Moses is about to to spy out the promised land. He sends out 12 12 representatives, one from each tribe. And you know the story, many of you, he sends them out and they go check out the promised land. And, And here's what Moses said. Go see if it's like God told us. Well, there's your first mistake. It's exactly like God told you. But he sends them to spy it out because they want to see it for themselves. And they're going to allow that mindset to, de- that mindset to determine whether or not they enter into the promised land, not what God said. And some of you know how it turns out. He sends 12 spies. They come back after some time and they bring back the fruit of the land. Man, it's amazing. The crops are Incredible, it's, it's super abundant. It's everything God said it would be, a land flowing with milk and honey, it's amazing. But they have something else they've noticed while they were spying out the land. Yeah, it's good, but there's some problems. And 10 of the 12 come back with an evil report that causes an entire nation, millions of people, to decide we can't do this. We can't take this promised land. And they turn back and they spend the next 40 years. God literally has to let an entire generation die in the wilderness because they couldn't see what he wanted them to see. That's the the effect of a mindset. But there were two guys, Joshua, who'd be the next leader, and Caleb. Caleb's name means a wholehearted dog. I mean, I'd rather be named a lion, but, but, but here's why I love Caleb. He, his personality, he's like, I grab a hold of this and I'm not letting it go. I, I'm, you know what the Bible says in Proverbs? It says, or Ecclesiastes maybe. It says, it's better to be a living dog than a dead lion. Woof woof. <laughs> I, 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 a dog may not be as impressive as a lion. But if you still got some barking, you still got some fight in you, Caleb. It says, I know what the other 10 told you, but let me give you an answer. We are well able because of who's with us to take possession of the land that God's given us. The other 10, here's their mindset. We're like grasshoppers in our sight and we were like that in the sight of the enemy. They're like they're giants. The walls are too big. It's all in Numbers chapter 13. You can read it on your own. But here's what he they all give that report. It's bigger, it's greater, it's too difficult, it's overwhelming, it's too painful, it's too hard. Caleb goes, oh no, no. That that enemy, that's gonna be our lunch. We're gonna have him for lunch. We're gonna, we're gonna we're gonna take the promised land just like God said. That's the difference in mindset. One's a prevailing mindset. One's a mindset formed and shaped by unbelief, by fear, by more confidence in what they have than who God is. Today I want to remind you that he sees you, he's with you, and he is more than able. Let me just finish with this. If you're not winning right now, may just be a couple reasons. The first reason I always have to ask myself is, am I letting God lead? Because here's what the Bible tells us. If we can put this on the screen, 2 Corinthians 2.14, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. That doesn't mean we won't walk through difficult stuff. I've had some difficult stuff this year, but here's what I know in the midst of difficulty. He always leads me in triumph. Am I letting him lead? Am I, letting, am I living surrendered saying God you lead the way? Am I waiting for an Isaac instead of trying to produce an Ishmael? Am I letting God lead in his timing, him, his way? He will lead in victory. Here's the other thing if I'm not seeing if I'm not winning right now, it's because it's not over right now. If I'm letting God lead but I don't I still see the battle that doesn't mean that there's defeat. it just means there's a battle and he's already won. God goes before you. When he led Israel out of, the, out of the Promised Land, he said, I'm going before you and I'm guarding your rear. Like I'm behind and I'm before. Do you know there's not a moment of time that God's not present in right now? He's not in your future. He's not one day gonna be in your future. He's already there. He's already in your past. He's already in your present. He's there. He's with you wants to give you victory over every issue, every demonic lie, everything the enemies tried to do to steal, kill, and destroy, to give you a future, and a hope God wants to bring you. you We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.